Hi everyone, this is Ashley with the Urban Ash team at Point Three Real Estate. We're gonna sit down with Jennifer Peterson uh, of First American Title and Escrow today. This is our second uh, episode of our two-part series, the first being Title 101, uh, and this one is going to be about Escrow 101. So we're gonna to touch on just the escrow process, um, the role escrow has in a transaction uh, during, before, during, and after um, the transaction, and then also just some general red flags and things that all parties can do to make the escrow process smoother. So um, let me know if you have any questions and I hope everyone is staying safe and healthy. Thank you again for uh, joining us for our second edition here for Escrow 101. Um, I know we've kind of said that maybe this is more of a lively topic than Title 101. Um, I think a lot more goes into it from the consumer side or from you know the interactions of the buyers, sellers, um, agents, lenders. Like it seems you know Escrow has um, so many connections with people throughout the transaction that. Um, you know, and they touch so many different people that it is a little bit more exciting in that regard. Um, so we kind of came up with a list of questions that, you know, we wanted to cover today from both the perspective of, again, buyers, sellers, agents, um, and just kind of overall explaining, you know, what is escrow and what is escrow's role in a transaction and after a transaction. So I'll let you kind of, you know, take the floor here and, and starting with basically the question is like, what is escrow and, and how do they kind of manage the transaction? And then we'll go from there. Okay. Um, escrow, the biggest thing they are is an intermediary third party. They're neutral. They um, don't represent the buyer or the seller or either of the agents or the lender, but they work for everyone. And they follow all of the instructions to do all of the things that are necessary in order for property to be transferred from the seller to the buyer, um, providing them clear title and wrapping up all of the funds that need to be dispersed and uh, taking care of everything. Yeah, putting all the pieces together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And there are a lot of pieces. <laughs> so starting from the um, buyer standpoint, um, when let's say you know you go into contract or mutual, um, then at that point, um, you know the the agent that's representing either the buyer or the seller will send the contract to escrow and escrow will open the file. Um, what is the next step typically for, from the buyer's point of view um, that they're gonna have interaction with escrow? Yes, they're gonna, the first lead, they'll receive a bunch of emails from us. And one of the emails is gonna be for our secure portal. And so they're gonna be invited to that. And, and that's a way for us to take email out of the equation for transferring information that is private in nature that could lead to identity theft in the future. And so the buyer has multiple questions to answer in regards to the transaction. And then they have a way to communicate. They can, um, we can send them wiring instructions, things of that nature. And from a buyer standpoint, there's a lot of activity at the beginning and a lot of activity at the end. And then there's always this um, period in the middle where there's not a lot of communication, but it would be helpful if a buyer knew that there's going to be a period of time when there, it seems like nothing's happening, but there is work being done. It's just behind the scenes. So one of your tools, I guess, for being that we're talking about earnest money here, um, you guys have the ability now that um, buyers can pay uh, via an app uh, or a link, uh, yeah. pay their earnest money. Yeah, that says the Zocom app. And so they basically write a personal check to First American and um, they 
take a picture of that check and deposit it mobily. The one reason why we wouldn't want to go that route is because it is a personal check. If it's a situation where earnest money is being released immediately to the seller, we definitely want to go the wire route because a hold is on that earnest money check for about a week. And so if we, it would mean that we um, wouldn't be able to release that yet. Point. Yeah, I didn't really think of that actually. So that's a, that's a good good way because a lot of people are releasing earnest money right away now. Yes. Um, so yeah, so you'd probably have to go the the wire route um, anyway there. And a lot of times, too, buyers, you know, they come into town, they secure their home, and they leave. And they go back to you know their their home where they're currently living. So I think escrow also manages during the process, like where where is the buyer going to be for signing purposes and all that sort of thing. So it's very important for buyers to be communicating all that information. Um, Very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm assuming that is in the buyer packet too. The, like, are you trying, I think I've seen that. Are you trying? Yes. The questions, the questions are in there because um, it's definitely something that we want to know. <laughs> yep. For sure. So on the seller side, then um, when escrow is opened, they also get an uh, invitation to the portal too. They do. And their questions are even more important than the buyer questions because it's about who we're going to pay off, who are their utility holders, and um, things of that nature. And that is also where they can upload their wiring instructions. Actually, it's not an upload. It's they're entering in like their routing number and their ABA number and their checking account number on their from their check. And that's how we can send them their proceeds at close. That's very, very, very important. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone wants their money. Yes, they do. Um, but then also I, in that process, it's important for sellers to do that within, you know, depending on when it's closing, but definitely within that first week, um, because I know there's information that escrow needs from, let's say, the lender, you know, payoff amounts, um, all that sort of thing. And also um, a lot of the times with the condominiums, they need to be mm -hmm. able to, to get the condo demands from the actual HOAs and the management companies. And sometimes yeah. that in itself has their delays. So that's, I see that sometimes as, as um, the sellers really need to get it, get in there and, and fill out all that information. A lot of times they don't know. And so we end up kind of helping them out, you know, um, with that, or they don't have their utility information on, on file, but we kind of help them as much as we can there. Um, with utilities in general, um, I know that you guys always kind of hold back a certain amount, um, for the seller, you know, for Seattle city light, do you want to kind of explain how that kind of the utility? Yeah, we, they can't have a final utility reading until actually it closes and then they're no longer being charged for utilities, whether it be water or Seattle City Light in, in that case. Um, and then what we do is we wait for the final bill to come in and then we'll pay the final bill and we'll refund the money to the seller that we owe them. Got it. Okay. And so with Seattle City, just because we're talking primarily Seattle City Light, a lot of the times with, uh, and then over in the east side to be Puget Sound Energy. Um, and then with condos specific, um, you, those HOA dues include utilities, and so they wouldn't have to worry about that. It's purely just their, the um, Seattle City Light, maybe gas every once in a while. Yeah, for us, um, it's if it's a municipality governing the the utility, and so Seattle City Light is, and Puget Sound Energy is not. 
which is interesting. So um, in this area, Seattle City Light is the only electric company that is owned by a municipality. And then sometimes it's trash too. Uh, So we really have to be specific on the property because some trash companies are owned by a municipality so they can lean the property as well. So sometimes almost always water, sometimes electric, sometimes trash. Got it. And so that's interesting because I didn't actually know that. Um, And so with Puget Sound Energy, then do you guys still withhold or you're able to actually cut it off at that point? there, the way their accounts work is it goes with the inv- individual. Got and it. so there's less risk for them because they're probably going to have to have electricity somewhere else. And so if they don't settle up their bill, they're, they won't, you know, it's going to just get forwarded to them eventually. So they um, are a lot more, uh, they're easier to deal with. So we don't yeah. do anything with PSA. Got it. So it's a little yeah. more relaxed. <laughs> but still buyers are responsible for opening up their own account right so at closing they buyers open that up sellers you guys uh close the accounts or is that correct if it's a leanable account they'll okay, be so only the municipalities if you're psc or any any of the private companies you're mm-hmm. responsible for for doing that on your own yeah so good good to know um so during the transaction, then uh, we kind of know what the different roles for the buyers, sellers. Are there anything the agents um, that you see can do to kind of help things along or, or be of assistance? Yes, the secure portal invitation is one of the most important pieces of communication that we can get to either party. And the way that that works is that um, when we put our the cell phone number in there or or a any, any phone number, really, email address and phone number for the buyer and the seller, because that's what generates the invitation to the secure portal. And so I know that there's a lot of reasons that agents don't want to put their contact information on the contract. But as long as we have it in an email, then we can put it in our system. But that is really the only way that we can generate the portal invitations. So that's that's pretty important on the front end. And then also making sure we get copies of all addenda as they come up. Mm -hmm. Good. Because some people have transaction coordinators and some don't. So a couple of the key milestones for agents obviously is, you know, the full uh, mutual uh, purchase and sale agreement. It's your inspection, you know, the 35, the 35 are the response periods. If there's any credits, I see that as kind of things that get slipped through the cracks is when you don't tell, you know, you settle up your inspection, not so much right now because it's such a competitive market, but in those cases where you are able to, you know, you're able to negotiate a credit on one behalf of another, um, that it doesn't get sent to escrow. And then all of a sudden settlement statements go out and then you're like, no, there's a $2,000, there should be $2,000 to the buyer. So it's really important to provide all those kind of material um, documents to escrow so they know exactly what to to um, put on a settlement statement. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then as far as the role, let's say after a transaction is closed, um, where does escrow fit in there? Well, once everything closes, we, that is when the disbursements happen. So that's when we're paying off the seller's mortgages and uh, settling up taxes, sending out commission checks, um, giving the seller their proceeds, all of that, uh, and then the utility, the hold back for the utilities. So they've still got to wrap up quite a few things afterwards and then they send out final settlement statements to the parties. And so up until that point, everything has been an estimated settlement mm-hmm. statement and then you have a final one at the end. 
Yep. And that's where a seller could see a check come through with some funds maybe that were held, you know, by their escrow company um, at that point. And, and um, yeah. So uh, during closing day, I guess let's say a week before close date uh, is occurring. What is escrow doing at that point? They are, they have their hair on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, um, they're wrapping everything up. They're getting the final statements. They are reaching out to the parties to schedule their signings. One of the things is, is that when a buyer is getting a loan, they have to wait until they get loan documents before they can schedule the signing. And so that's always kind of a fire drill because we usually get documents and the, and the buyer will have, need to sign, like we'll get them in the morning and the buyer has to sign that afternoon of the next day. So it's a very short window. I, I've always, um, it's hard that we can't put our foot, their best foot forward a little bit better in regards to that to um, give the buyers a little bit of a window. <laughs> but we, but at this point, we. Uh... Well, you're kind of at the mercy of the lender, right? So like the lender's doing their final, their final underwriting, they're getting the final loan approval, and then you're sitting there waiting for closing docs. Like even today, we had one that we're supposed to close on today, but the lender hasn't gotten the docs to you guys, right? And so we're pushing out, we're trying to get an update on that. Um, but if you don't, without those loan docs, the seller could sign, right? Because the seller's yeah. already signed their paperwork and done all that. But the buyer's really just waiting on the second that the lender gets the docs to you guys and you scramble, put everything together and then get the signing appointment. And the buyer, I think that there is a period of the buyer's just like flustered trying to get everything all, you know, mm -hmm. queued up. Um, and then there's this little calmness on closing day, which is just like, okay, hurry up and wait. Mm -hmm. Right. You're just hurry it up and wait. And on the day of closing, why don't you talk a little bit about that with the funding and all how that's all handled? Yes. And so after the buyers do sign their documents, then the lender will work with escrow on what we call balancing the file. And so they make sure down to the very penny, everything matches exactly what it's supposed to match. And at that point in time, the lender will give us the okay when they're ready that they're funding the file and they're released to record. And yeah. so that is what we're waiting for. And so we'll usually tell people we're released to record, which makes everyone feel better. But um, in this market, um, what, you know, the county is, is not as fast as they used to be. And so we don't always get recording numbers back same day. Most, you know, sometimes it's the next day. And we have addendums for that too, that kind of safeguard the transaction. You guys, you guys ensure the transaction at that point, right? Yeah, we, we ensure for um, in case anybody slipped in there, recorded something in between uh, when we're released and when it record. Yeah. Since the county is so slow, it's, it's not um, it's not very likely that would happen. Yeah, I've been pretty lucky this year in terms of our closing not having. I think I've only had like one or two that have been delayed. Um, other than that, it's not I've, I mean, honestly, it happened because of COVID, right, where there we were kind of half staff, but overloaded with way more sales than they had seen, you know, right, um, right. So that's, that's the reason why that, that kind of all came about, but, mm -hmm. um, good. So the famous release to record, I always kind of laugh and say that that's like one of my, well, it's final approval <laughs> and then release to record and mm -hmm. recording numbers are in one of my favorite little phrases. Um, so once we get the recording numbers, you know, and again, buyers, you know, that point we coordinate as agents keys to the um, to the buyer or to the listing or listing agent to the buyer's agent. And at that point, it's a done deal. Um, as far as how does the escrow roll then after the transaction to work in conjunction with the lender and the, the loan balance? 
As far as like paying it off. Yeah. Um, they usually, everything is wired. And so um, they will pay off the lender. There's always a little bit of an overage there. That overage will go right back to the seller. Got it. Yeah. So again, that little, little bonus check after a transaction is, is complete. Yeah. Nice little surprise. Yeah. Um, what are some hurdles, I guess, that maybe escrow the team has control over um, first and maybe things that they don't have control over red flags or just general issues that come up? Yeah, this is going to be a little repeat from last time, but escrow is really responsible for clearing title. So anything that's a challenge for title is ultimately a challenge for escrow. Title's like, oh, here it is, here's the problem, but they don't actually do anything about it. Uh, escrow is the one that has to coordinate any paperwork that's necessary in order to make title perfect in order for it to close. So they're looking for operating agreements for LCs and things like that. And they're looking for trust documents and statements of information. If there's um, things on title that may or may not belong to our parties. Mm -hmm. And so all of those things become hurdles for escrow. And then at the end, you know, we already talked about loan documents, but not to throw lenders under the bus, but because um, sometimes it's a delay in the buyer getting their documentation to the lender, which causes the lender to have a problem, um, not a problem, but have a delay. But yeah. Yeah. It's really important for buyers to be on top of that stuff because that will be the number one source of, of any delays is not being able to kind of move things through their underwriting system and, and, um, and get back to appropriate parties with conditions and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, all right. And then with, we, you kind of touched on other red flags or getting all the paperwork. So like you said, make death certificates, entity information, you know, all that stuff, which we, we coach our clients to have that upfront so that, you know, we, there, those delays don't come up. Um, That's ideal. Guess, yeah. And I guess we do see the delays, like, as I mentioned earlier with the condo association, sometimes property managers not getting back. Um, I know lately there's been a lot of information or a lot of some delays are just questions in the ninth hour about um, insurance and the lenders re requesting information from um, maybe the HOAs or just information in general from the HA HOAs to do their final clearance and approval um, for those type of things. So those are things that um, escrow really doesn't have their hands in, but again, it's communication with the condo associations and stuff to make mm -hmm. sure all the information. Yeah. Which is another reason why it's, doing the portal information early is good because uh, it it's often only the seller that knows about who their HOA contact is. It's not a matter of public record. So unless they tell us, um, mm -hmm. we're still in the dark. Yep, for sure. Good. So um, I think we've pretty much covered a lot of what we're trying to today, other than new features that you guys um, have right now or are working on uh, mm -hmm. at First American. We, um, we're currently doing a lot of remote online notaries, which is a very different process than what we normally have done in the past. It's been something that's been necessary because of COVID, but at this point, more than one out of every four sellers signs that way. And so it's very different. They're either at a computer or they're on their phone and um, they do their signing without coming into the office. They can be anywhere in the world. And it's really helped us a lot with transactions where um, somebody's on a submarine <laughs> or yeah. um, it's, you know, it's very interesting. So 
uh, how it works is it's not like they're showing up with their ID and they're saying, this is who I am. They do show their ID, but they also have to go through the process that is called knowledge-based authentication. And so it's um, the, the questions they have to answer correctly come from their credit report. So there are things that they probably would only know. And so that's how they ascertain they're the right person to sign for this person. And so um, that's just very, that's a very interesting new uh, trend. And the sellers are uh, rating it with four and five stars yeah. for the, the process. They just love it. Yep. What is, is every seller eligible to, to do that? Or is there only some that are? Most are, but you do need to have a social in order to, um, and, and five-year credit history. So if you've okay. been issued um, a tax identification number recently and you have no, no um, history of five years, yep. then you wouldn't qualify. Got it. And you guys do all that history check and stuff before you send that out. Um, we, we have a team that coordinates yeah. all of that. And so they are in communication, holding their hands the entire way. And so they will determine that they're not able to do it. And then we'll, we'll do things the old fashioned way. Got it. Got it. Got it. Um, so for those folks who are in Canada, who are non-resident alien for ta tax purposes, um, or not one, uh, they would have to sign the old way. I don't know. Right now, right now. But I did just hear that we are working on, uh, there's a, a company that is bringing in Canadian, I oh. think they're called SINs. I don't know, but they're um, the Canadian social security number is right. going to work at some point in time. And then they hope to expand. Awesome. Well, that sounds that sounds good. Now, on the buyer side, um, does does a buyer's lender ever require a seller to sign in front of a notary? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes they do, and we will accommodate that as well. And we okay. are seeing more and more lenders coming on board with letting their buyers to sign that way, but it's a lot more complicated because um, they like to have the note, which is Got the it. promise to pay the money back. They want it signed in wet ink. Got it. Okay. Do you have any, do you know any lenders off the top of your head that are like, I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah. it's still, they're coming yeah. along, they're coming along, but um, there aren't very many at this point. Got it. Yeah. That would just make life so much easier. <laughs> Good. All right. Um, anything else you want to kind of share about the ESCO world? Has there been any changes in like legislation or laws or anything like that or it's all the remote unloaded or you don't often have new things yeah. pop up but that is our newest thing that since covid we're waiting for a national law to come through right now it's legal in washington but for instance it's not legal in california mm -hmm. so until that legislation passes um it then it will become legal in california but that's a pretty big state there's only a few holdouts and california is one of them which is kind of surprising can I ask you a question that just popped in my mind? Let's say, um, well, the transaction is here in Washington, but the seller is in California. They could still sign underneath Washington. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so going to selling it in California. Mm -hmm. okay. Just to, oh. if the proper where the property is located. Yeah, where the property is located. Okay. Mm -hmm. cool. Good. Well, thank you as always for your time. This is good to kind of just touch base on kind of the basics of of escrow, and um, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. You bet. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye.